0: the store. the marriage of We want to be ready. for you. do. Oh, Jesus, you're the center. Jesus, you're the center. And everything revolves around you.
1: Jesus, you. Church, I don't want to miss this moment right now. We're going to do something a little different this morning. We're not going to transition because I feel like Jesus being there's a situation you're facing. There's.
0: You're a hero
2: is whole life trying to get my father's approval. And then all of a sudden I found out I had my father's approval and he delighted in me. He not put, he didn't just put up with me. He he delighted in me. And so it, it changes the whole perspective about when we come together and we worship God and we come into his presence and we say, Jesus, we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't You're worthy of it all. Uh, I want us to, but you can be seated. We got a testimony. Where's Lorraine? Where are you at, Lorraine? Come on. Pastor Josh asked for a testimony Wednesday, testimonies Wednesday night. And Lorraine said she had a testimony, but she didn't quite raise her hand to tell that testimony, but she wants to do that this morning. Amen. How many of you want to hear what God has to say through our sister here? Come
3: on. Thank you. This is okay. Again, I wanted to jump up on Wednesday night to say I have a testimony to share, but I wasn't quite feeling at peace with it, so that is why I waited till this morning, and I hope that the Lord, the Spirit, leads me in telling you. Jesus loves us so much. Before this past weekend, I had a dream. I saw Jesus. If you want to know what he looked like to me, he looked like he had, like he would have walked along the earth when he was here. I don't think he's put on his majesty robes robes yet. So I think he showed me that because I thought people would want to know. His hair was dark. He had a full beard. In the dream, I saw Jesus standing on the far end of a very, very long table. I couldn't see the other end of the table. This table was filled with food, so much food. He didn't say anything to me, but he looked like he was putting the final touches on the marriage supper. He turned to me, he faced me, and he just smiled. He smiled with his whole face. His eyes were glistening with tears of love and emotion for his people. The lord told me not to be anxious today because i'm speaking to his sons and daughters i'm speaking to my brothers and sisters so this blessing is for everyone here those who are watching through the internet i hope the lord provides a way that you can come meet with us because it is so much better in person to praise and worship the lord because the lord didn't speak any words He looked at me like I should know what he was trying to say. So, of course, I'm depending on the Holy Spirit. And I believe that he is putting the final touches on the marriage supper. He is coming soon for his church. And I want to also add that I felt that he wanted me to say that he has been waiting a whole lot longer for us to be with him before we were on the earth he's been waiting before he came to earth to preach the good news so remember that he loves, loves us so much so so much that's all I have to say and I thank the Lord that he helped me just remember that he loves us and he is so anxious for us to be with him but he knows what it's going to be like. He knows, right? He knows the end from the beginning.
2: So, thank you. That's a great thought, that he's been waiting longer for us than we've been waiting for him. I mean, that's, that's a, I've never thought of that that's awesome. That's great. Amen. Uh Wednesday before church, Pastor Josh and I sat down for just a few minutes and talked and just kind <clears> of <throat> trying to decompress from last weekend. And um if if you weren't here Sunday night, I mean, how many were here Sunday night to the end? <laughs> like past one o'clock in. Okay, yeah, some of you. I see you waving. Okay, I got you, I got you. I didn't miss you. You said, did it let up? No, it didn't let up. And uh, I've already been asked by someone if I'm going to be talking about what God showed me when he put me down on the floor about 1240 in the morning. I said, not today. Maybe next week, but not today because I got to let that sit and, you know, cook a little while, you know, it's got <clears> to <throat> go back there, but, um, you know, it's, it, well, I thought I had, I had so many things going through my mind this week, and, um, it just, the highs and lows of, you know, how many of you have ever had one of them weeks where it's just like this, you know, I mean, I, I came out from this past weekend healed in my heart, and, um, Now, you may not know, the day we started fasting and praying, my heart went into AFib, and it had never done that before. And I was in AFib all week long. And so my cardiologist and them had all all these tests done, planned. And um, Friday night when Dr. Dennis said, he said, the things that God's done here is just a little bit of what he's done out there. I expected that night. That when I was going to wake up the next morning, my device was going to show that my heart was back in normal rhythm. But when I got up Saturday morning, my heart was still in AFib. And I said, okay, God, that's fine. I still believe you. I still trust you. I know who you are. And so um, Sunday morning, I got up and just downloaded the information on my phone, not expecting anything to change. And all of a sudden, my heart was back in normal sinus rhythm again. And so I said, well, maybe that's a one-off thing. Let's just, you know, the Bible says confirm things. So I waited till the second day. The second day, it was straight across. I mean, it was in perfect rhythm again. I tried to get my cardiologist and them to take do an EKG because they, they had me scheduled. They were going to do a heart ultrasound, and they were going to stop my heart and then shock it and try and get it back in rhythm. They wouldn't do it. I had to go to the hospital. It was just all kinds of stuff, you know I mean? And, uh, but... Now they got me wearing a heart monitor to prove whether or not my heart's back in sinus rhythm. And I can just tell you, it's in perfect rhythm. Every single morning, it's checking out. <clears throat> and um, so I'm getting, every time I have to go to the hospital or to the doctor, I'm getting a witness to somebody what God did. And so I said, the week that we start fasting and praying, that night's when it goes out. And then in the middle of the night conference, God just says, Whoop, put it back the way it was. And so, I, I, man, it's just, how do you, how, you know, what do you say after all that? What do you do? And I said, Lord, you know who I am, and you made me the way I am. In fact, that's what God told me Sunday night um, through our guest. He said, I've wired you that way. He said, you've tried not to be that way, but I made you that way. And so uh, you said, well, how do you know that? Because I had my phone recording the whole time. And so... Uh, I've gone back and listened to it multiple, multiple times over and over. But God began to put something on my heart, and, and, and I, so I'm going to get right into this message. And, and it says, Go, No Go. I know that sounds strange, but um, you know in the, this conference that we had, it was a life-changing event for many people. I cannot tell you how many testimonies how many text messages and emails that I've had from people who told me it was life-changing. I've even had people who never came (coughs) in person, but they watched online. And God caused them to step out and tear up the script for their lives. And in one case already... God has drastically changed it and opened a whole new door for them and an area to minister to people. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And so it's it's a lot to process as a pastor of a church of, of many people and how you know what is it what is God saying to the church? But then you know what? You have to process things personally too. What is God saying to me? And and so many times pastors or ministers <clears throat> they think about excuse me <clears throat> they think about <clears throat> uh, when they read the bible they read i need a sermon for the church and what god really wants to do is i need to, i need to speak to you first and, and and don't worry about them if i can if I, if god can get the heart of the man or woman who's going to speak the word it'll be all right and 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 um so uh it, so I, be, I began to think i said what one thing I, I used to teach um, Christian education teachers, and I used to teach them um, if you 're teaching a class, your goal is what is the one thing you want your your students to gain from this lesson that you 're teaching? Just one thing and and that was always hard for teachers. I used to do this. Um, I used to have several ways of doing this, and they'd say, oh, I want them to do this, and I want them to do this. I said, but you can't know that. I said, what's the one thing you want them to know? For example, they would say, oh, I want them to know Jesus loves them. That's not measurable. You cannot look in the heart of a person and know that they know that. What is the one thing that you want them to know? So, when I thought about this this week, I said, okay, Lord, let me go back to my own teaching the way I used to teach teachers. What is the one thing that you want me and the church, Life Church, to know? That's the one thing. And so, as I began to think about it, um, there was one thing that Dr. Dennis uh, St. Pablo kept saying over and over, at least to me, it seemed that way, and that was the difference between the church in Africa and the church in America. How many, how many of you heard him say that over and over again? <clears throat> Almost every service he brought that up. And, and he would say, in, the, in, in, the, in America in in the U.S., people come to sit and then they hire people to go do ministry. In Africa, they said people come to Jesus and then they, and then they begin to go and tell others about Jesus. And what little they know, they go and tell. Whereas in the United States, we think we have to know so much before we can go and say anything. And it reminded me of this um, term. It's used uh, probably in businesses too, but especially in the military. Me being brought up in a mil- military family, um, a military household. My dad was in the military for 32 years. and so. Um, but there was a term called go, no, go. In fact, if you've ever watched any movies or anything like that, where the president is called into the sat- sit room, you know where there's a situation going on worldwide, and all the chiefs of staffs are around, and the leaders, and his cabinet people, and maybe there's uh, there's something. Maybe there's a, a, a retaliatory strike planned, or there's an attack plan, or there's something in the works. It's in the process. It's waiting. But they're looking to the president for him to say, go, no go. It's the project that is either a go or a no go. So I looked up the, t- the actual definition, and here's what it is on the screen. It's being or relating to a decision as to whether or not to proceed as planned or to the time at which such a decision must be made. In fact, uh, I think it was yesterday the day before, I learned that uh, maybe it was the day before yesterday, I learned that D-Day was put off by one day because of weather. It was actually planned for June 5th, uh, 1944, but it ended up being June 6th, 1944, because of weather. And they said, and there was a small window, a small opening that allowed them to go to go. And so you had these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ships with tens of thousands of men on them, sailors. You had planes ready to take off. I mean, you had this huge operation ready to go, and it came down to General mccarthy's go or no go. We got this little window. Is it a go or no go? And if he had said no go, then the whole operation would have been postponed. And, and they would have had to gone back to the table or he said, go. The window was right. It was a go. And so um, th- I, th- this has been going over in my mind over and over again about this, this whole thing. Go, no go. And it's like God is saying this to the church in America today. It's a go or no go. In other words, there's this, there's this plan that's been put into operation. The timing is right. Everything is there. And it's not about God saying go, no, go. It's whether the church is going to accept the, the, the command, go, no, go. Is God saying go? Yes, he's going. I always say that. God. Two-thirds of God's name is go. I mean, you know... I mean, I'm a simple guy, okay, go, no go, you know, but it's like God says go, and the church goes, no go, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's not a a kid's game, you know, I mean, uh, like when I was a kid, we used to play red light, green light, you know, anybody, did anybody down here play that game, yeah, you know, you know, red light, green light, you know, and we're like, go, no go, and we're just like, nah, I'm just not going to go, I let somebody else go do it. And, and so, uh, I, I, I went to the scripture and, and Matthew 11 came to mind and, and it's about a, a very unique time in the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been imprisoned. You know, he preached for a good while proclaiming that the Messiah was coming. He told people to repent. He got the religious crowd, religious leaders angry at him. Now he's been thrown in prison and, um, uh, he, he's, he's, one, he's at a point and this to me is encouraging because John the Baptist I mean he was, the, he was like the in your face guys I mean when one time the Pharisees and the religious leaders come down and he said you brood of vipers and snakes who warned you to flee from the judgment to come I mean that's a preacher <laughs> you know I mean that's the guy that he, he doesn't flinch at anything right But this is something interesting here, because in Matthew chapter 11, he's been in prison for a while. And can I say, let's take off our rose-colored glasses and look at it honestly. And it says that John begins to wonder and sends a couple of his disciples to Jesus with a question. And Jesus sends them back with an answer. So let's look at this. Matthew 11, beginning with chapter, uh, uh, verse two. It says, Now, when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you he who should come, or should we look for another? Now, this is incredible because go back and read. John's baptizing. And he's telling everybody, make the path straight. Messiah is coming. Make his path straight. He's coming any day. Get ready. He's preaching repentance. Day in and day out, he's baptizing people in water to repentance. That's what his baptism was unto, for for, for repentance. And, And then one day he sees Jesus coming. And the Bible says that he comes and he said, Lord, I should be baptized by you. Jesus says, let it be be done this way because this is what's supposed to be. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, the sky opens up and John sees the Holy Spirit come as a dove and he hears the voice of God, behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is John, the same John who's now sending disciples To Jesus and going, Are you the one? I'm like, Wow. How could, what what caused the flip flop? But you know what? Time has gone by, and persecution's gone by, and he's been in prison. How many of you have ever been in a place where you love Jesus and you love God, but difficulties and things begin to beat you down into a place? to where you you don't you won't say I doubt God but but are you the one are you still there come on let's be honest now all right so i mean this is this is the john that's going behold the lamb of god and cuz the next day it says jesus walks by and he looks to a couple of his own disciples and he goes behold the lamb of god who 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 takes away the sins of the world and immediately John loses a couple disciples and they start following Jesus. He's so sure of who he is but now he sends a couple guys and goes are you he who we should be looking for or should we look for another? That just tells me something about the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God because he knows how we're made and he knows that that there are times that we must be encouraged and but we don't lose hope we don't lose hope i don't know if i'm conveying that well or not but but he he he's he's hearing that the people aren't responding to jesus by this time at first they were all excited but now they're hearing this kind of you know Friction. Some yes, saying yes, some am saying no. But he's definitely hearing that the religious leaders are against Jesus, and so uh, even mature believers, that doubt sets in sometimes. And, and and imagine John thinking, I know, I know what I saw. I thought that I saw the dove come down, and I heard the voice. But but did I miss it? <laughs> did I miss it? Cause, and, and I just thought it was important because. You can have a weekend like we just had. And you can't live on the mountain. And you'll come off of that and we're, I'm still bathing in it. I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, but you know what? That in in and of itself is nothing what God wants to do right now and what he wants to do tomorrow and the next day. You can't live on yesterday's manna. But there are people who think that's the way I have to, That oh, it's got to be like that all the time. I'm just telling you, John saw all these things, experienced all these things, and the time went by, and all of a sudden he's going, did I pick out the right guy? Well, yeah, you were there. I mean, we could all say that. Man, I saw you down on the floor Saturday night. Man, God got a hold of you, didn't He? And you'd say, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You don't know what happened this week. But that didn't change what happened Saturday or Sunday or Friday. It didn't change who He is. Come on now. And, 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 So John sends his disciples to Jesus to raise the question, are you he who we should, who should come or should we look for another? And Jesus responds with two answers. Let's look at this in verse four and five. It says, Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. There's two categories, two things there. He says, go and tell them what you hear. That he's claiming to be Messiah. Because Jesus claimed, his, his claims were that he was the Messiah. In the beginning of his ministry, he was coming and doing works to prove that he was Messiah. So he says, tell them what you, what you hear. And he says, and then tell them what you see. And what was it that they saw? That, they, that Jesus was doing miracles, but he was doing two different kinds of miracles. And that he was doing what are known as messianic miracles and non-messianic miracles. Okay, and, and, and um. The reason I say that is because, in in Jewish, the Jewish uh, rabbis of that day taught that that the Messiah would do miracles and and things like that. But there were three specific things that he would do that would absolutely substantiate that he was the Messiah, and Jesus did all three of those. Okay, and so. He's saying, tell them what you hear, that I'm preaching, I am the Messiah, the kingdom of God has come, all of those things, and then tell them what you see, and that is that I'm doing miracles, and I'm doing not just, if I could say, ordinary run-of-the-mill miracles, I'm also doing messianic miracles to prove that I I am who I say I am. That's what Jesus tells them. And then he sends them away with a a word of encouragement in verse 6. Blessed is he who does not fall away because of me. I, I believe that was a word of encouragement to Jesus, to John. Don't lose the faith, brother. Blessed is he who stands with me, who doesn't fall away, who, who believes in me and stands with me. And, and, and in other words, he's saying, John, you didn't miss it. You fulfilled your calling and you did it well. And even though John's in prison, and even though he will soon be killed for preaching the message of repentance to the governor, going, You're gonna repent or you're gonna burn in hell? Off with his head. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't, he, he was encouraged enough to continue preaching from his prison cell. So then John turns to the people. I mean, Jesus turns to the people. So John's disciples go away. They've got, they've got what John sent them to find out. Then Jesus turns to the people. See, Jesus is not going to let everybody off the hook. He's, going to, he's saying, right, go tell John what I've told you. Then he turns to the people all around that are sitting there watching this, listening. And I believe these questions are very appropriate to the church in America today. Beginning in verse 7, it says this. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the crowds concerning John, what did you go out, to see, out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Stop right there for a second. John was not a reed shaking in the wind. He was not wishy-washy. He always knew where he stood on certain issues, and he never minced words while he was preaching. In other words, he, he, he wasn't just blown here and there, back and forth. One day, I'm, a, I'm called of God. One day, I'm not. One day, I'm doing this, and one day, I'm not. He wasn't that way at all. He said, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see somebody was like a reed just blown in the wind? No. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, If not, what did you go out to see? He said, A man dressed in soft clothing. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. In other words, John was not living in the palace. He was not accustomed to luxurious living. He was dressed like Elijah and lived in the wilderness. In fact, Jesus even said his message was the message of Elijah Calling the people back to repentance and and I thought, boy, what a contrast that makes today of of, of 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 a prophet of God living in in obscurity, basically, if I can put it that way, living way below the poverty level compared to many preachers and ministers. Quote of the gospel today, especially in America. I don't know if you saw about a week or a week and a half ago, um, international news picked up a, a minister out of Kansas City who berates his congregation. Well, let me just show you. See,
1: that's how I know you still poor, broke, busted, and disgusted because of how you've been honoring me. I'm not worth your McDonald's money. I'm not worth your red lobster money. I ain't worth your St. John lid. Y'all can't afford it no how. I ain't worth y'all Louis Vuitton. I ain't worth your product. I'm not worth your Gucci. Mother, ooh, I'm saying this and I promise you, you can need is not good respect the woman. I'm saying it because I want you to understand just what God is saying. Even found out that Movado, you can buy a Movado watch in Santa's. Yes
0: you, can. yes, you can. And y'all know I asked for one last year. Here it
1: is the whole way in August. I still ain't got it. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Let me kick down the door and talk to my cheap sons and daughters.
2: Ow. And we wonder why the world looks at the church and goes they ain't no different that's not the spirit of John the Baptist that's not even the spirit of Christ the Bible says he made of himself no reputation and became lower than the angels I'm just telling you God is shaking up his church and he's shaking it loose of that kind of junk and there's people waking up and going, Oh, ho, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm just telling you, it's coming. It's happening already. And and, and that pastor made international headlines with that, with that part of his sermon. I mean, his whole sermon was online and it went all over the world. And a few days later he came out and said, Oh, I didn't mean that. And, 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 but how many of you know that Jesus said out of the heart, the mouth speaks (laughs) out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. I mean, your words give you away, right? But then let's go on with Matthew, uh, Matthew 11 and nine. It says, Jesus says, then what did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. He was a prophet, and his prophetic office was authenticated by the fact that John received revelation from God. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that God had told John, when you see a dove come out of the heavens and rest upon him, that is the one who I have sent as Messiah. He knew that. God had given him direct revelation about it. He'd given him revelation that he was, he was sent as a forerunner to make, listen, to forerunner's the one who's, who goes like a few days ahead of time before the a speaker comes or the president comes or a king comes, and they're the ones that make sure everything's in order. Why? Because they're about to hit the scene. And John knew that he wasn't preaching for somebody who was going to come in 150, 200 years. He was sent as a forerunner. He had received that direct revelation from God. And look at verse 10. It goes on. It says, For this is he of whom it is written, Look, I am sending my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus says that yes, he was a prophet, but he goes on and says he was more than just a prophet. He was a forerunner of Messiah in the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, which Jesus quotes. And then he goes on in verse 11, he says this, Truly I say to you, among those who are born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Did you see that? There's two declarations right there. Jesus declares that John the Baptist is the greatest of all the Old Testament saints. Of all the Old Testament saints, of all the prophets of the Old Testament. You know, in Bible college, I can tell you that, you know, they, they teach, they teach on, on, um, on the prophets. And they have the major prophets and the minor prophets. I always thought that was a kick because God obviously thought the minor prophets were just as important as the major prophets. And maybe there was just more about them, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're major prophets, you know, but Micah and, you know, Haggai, they, don't, they only have a couple of chapters. But it's amazing the messianic revelations that are in those small books. Can I tell you, there are no majors and minors in the kingdom of heaven. You are who God made you and, you, and that's what you need to understand. But he says, of all the prophets, of all those in the Old Testament, John is the greatest. And yet John's ministry didn't last very long, and it didn't end very well. And yet, how can he say that? He said, because he fulfilled what he came to do. He came to forerun. He came to prepare the path. That's all he came to ask. Ar- Imagine just coming. Your, your job was to come and prepare the way. And once Jesus came, John said, I must decrease and he must increase. I'm done. I'm done. It doesn't seem very successful by today's standards, Right? He should have been climbing the ladder for years. He should be on the prophetic council of the national, international, whatever. No, he ended up in prison, and he died. But there's a couple things that Jesus states that I think we need to understand. The first one is this, that John's had an effective ministry throughout the whole land. Now, the key to that, though, is he didn't leave to go all over the place. He stayed in a, a generalized area, because he was baptizing by the River Jordan. There was a couple of places he baptized, but he stayed in the general area. But how could he have such an influence? A couple of ways. One, people heard the message, and the people came. And, 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 and this is so important that many made a commitment by baptism. To, by John to believe in whomever John was going to point out. By their baptized, being baptized, they were repenting of their sin and re- saying, John's gonna let us know. John's gonna point us out. God's gonna, but the Messiah is about to show himself on the scene. And Lorraine, I love that dream. God's trying to let us know, I've been longing for you longer than you've been longing for me, and I'm putting the finishing touches. And we hear things like that, and sometimes we go, yeah, but that'll probably be another 500 years or whatever. <laughs> Brother, I believe it's a lot closer than that. He's, he's, he's putting it all together. But John's impact was so great that you can go all the way into the book of Acts, chapter 19, and, and Paul the apostle comes upon a bunch of a people and in, in, in a, another area outside of where, where John baptized a long ways away. And, and he begins to speak to them in Acts 19, 1 through 8. And Paul runs into them and he says, he's talking to them about Jesus. And, and they've not heard anything about that. And he says, well, well, then what to what have you believed? He said, we were baptized in the baptism of John. And he said, oh, well, then let me tell you about Jesus. And he tells about Jesus, then they're baptized in Jesus' name, and then they begin to prophesy, and they speak in tongues, and, and they've they moved into it. But what I'm saying is that they had heard that Messiah was coming, they had traveled to, and by whatever means, they were baptized in the baptism of John, and years later, they were still living in that state of, Waiting, prepared for the Messiah. So, John's influence had great influence miles and miles away and for a good long period of time. And they weren't there when John goes, Behold the Lamb. Maybe they'd been baptized months before and they'd gone back to their city where they were and they told people about John and his message. And I don't know, I, but they weren't there. They didn't know about Jesus. They said, we've not even heard. And so Paul begins to tell them about him, And then they're baptized in Jesus' name. And so here's, here's the point I want to make. Two things here quick. Don't underestimate the influence you have within your circle of people. Don't say, I'm a nobody. Don't say, who am I? I can't reach anybody. I can't do anything. Don't say that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The enemy would have you believe that you are incapable. Listen. Listen. (laughs) Dr. Dennis said that people get Jesus, they go find their friends, they go tell them about Jesus, then they go find their friends, they go tell them, they haven't learned the the 10 points of whatever, the 12 points of this, the 16 points of this, they haven't learned, they just, they like the Samaritan woman at the well who said come and see a man who knows everything about me. (laughs) That's all she could say, come and see a man who knew everything about me and y'all know me. Right? And she brings back a whole crowd of people. I mean, so don't underestimate the influence because, and here's the second thing: God places you where you can have the greatest impact in his kingdom purposes. I've had so many people over the years come to me and say, Pastor, pray for me that God will move me from where I'm working, move me from where I'm at. I hate it where I'm at. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. I hate it. I said, why? And almost always they say, oh, the people, they, they swear and they cuss and they, they drink and they're, you know, they're just, they just, they're heathens. They're heathens. And I'm like, be the light. You got it backwards. Quit looking at it. Oh, God, move me. Move me. He puts you right there for a reason. Oh, we want to shine the light where the light shines already. I know a pastor, he purposely goes into towns and builds churches and tells the pastors, I'm coming into your town and building a church down the street and I'm going to take half your people. He's not not spreading the light. He's just stealing sheep. My Bible says thieves have their place in the lake of fire. I shouldn't have said that. That slipped out. It's true though. I had a missionary tell me years ago from Central America, he said, the difference between churches in America and churches in South and Central America is, he said, we add churches by, uh, we, we, we build churches by addition, you guys do it by division. Yeah. That's prophetic. You know why? Oh, they got the latest and the greatest. Can I tell you that the latest and the greatest in this world is nothing compared to the presence of God. You can have all the flash in the pan. You can have the lights and the lasers and all that. And God God can show up in all of that too. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. But if you think that's going to draw a crowd, I'll get a crowd in here next week. I'll put it on social media for every person that's here at 1030 on the dot. In a chair will get $100 you will be out on the street trying to find a place to park maybe I should do that I'd have a different crowd to preach to huh (laughs) but here's what you need to understand God places you where you are where you can have the greatest impact for the kingdom of God but here's what you need to know it may be a, for a season or it may be for a lifetime but the the, the, the pot doesn't get to tell the potter oh I, I think I heard that preach somewhere recently you know God puts you there I don't want to be here you'll stay longer <laughs> when I was a kid in my house, I'm the oldest of seven kids. It's nine and a half years separate me from my youngest sister. And, and the oldest of seven. And, and, and back in my day, we didn't have microwaves and all that stuff, you know. And so the rule in my house was you ate what was put on the plate in front of you. And my mama dished the food out. I had four sisters on one side, three brothers on the other. Most of the time, my dad was gone because he was in the military. If he was home, he was at one end. But my mom still dished out the food. And she'd pass the plates down. And she could see, man. She had eyes in the back of her head, side of her head, top of her head. And if, if she saw something you didn't like. I had my younger brother, Ron. He may be even watching this morning from Tennessee. Just had double knee replacement. I said, brother, I know what you're going through. Been there. He hated Carrots. He still does. He don't even like carrot cake. <laughs> Carrots he hated. And if when my mom's dishing out food, she'd be doing like this, you know, putting food on the plate because she knew how much food she had, seven kids, feed everybody. she put them on the plate. And if she even thought she saw you go, make a face or anything, double heaping. Oh, yeah. And the rule was you could not leave the table till you had finished. I can, I, 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 we have pictures of my siblings face down in their food, sound asleep. Because they couldn't leave the table. And, and I'm just telling you. And, and, and if, we, if we said anything like, I, I don't. She'd say, think of all the starving children overseas who would love to have this. And I remember the one time I said, ship it to them. My dad was home, and I was right, left of his left hand. And whammo! And the problem with that was me and my brother sat on a bench and when, with a back on it. And when we hit the floor, they hit the floor. I'm just telling you the way it was. So my mama would say, eat it while it's hot. It tastes better than it's going to taste when it's cold. You say, well, Pastor, where are you going with that? God puts you where you are for a reason. Are you going to be found wanting because you don't want to stay there? He might just make it, instead of a season, two seasons. Say, oh, me, oh, my, or amen, one of the two. (laughs) Because you got quiet i tell you a little secret about my brother. His sliced carrots. He was the last one at the plate. We had to wash dishes. We had a dishwasher in our house. It was called kids. <laughs> Couldn't plug them in. They had to wash the dishes. We had a rotation, you know. i was so glad when my sisters finally got old enough to reach over the top of the sink. <laughs> my brother came out and said, I'm done. I said, it's about time. And I go pick up his plate and all his sliced carrots are around the edge he had hid under the edge of the plate. And now yell, MOM. My mama come in there. And she said, pick up them carrots and eat them. I said, yeah, eat them. <laughs> he still to this day hates carrots. I'm telling you, man. Just the sight of carrots. We love teasing them about carrots. <laughs> If y'all come across any memes about carrots, send them to me. I'm going to pass them on to my brother <laughs> and to my brother. But my point is simply this. He puts you there because you're the one who, who can have the greatest impact for God's purpose at that time. You think, oh, no, if he would just put, oh, so-and-so here, they'd be more effective. Or if they'd put so-and-so, if God thought that, he would do that. But he has you there. Don't underestimate the impact and influence that you can have. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. And when you're sitting there going, no, go, no, go. God's going, go. Jesus went on to say in verse 11 of Matthew's account and and Luke and 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 um, verse 28 of Luke's account that although there is no one greater than John the Baptist he says but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he and I want you to think about that he says he makes the contrast and although there's these all these greater, I mean Moses and Abraham and everything else David and everything else he says he makes a contrast here and this is important and this is for us to understand the least member of this new covenant. Remember Jesus said, with my blood, I'm writing a new covenant. He says the least member of this covenant, the church, the New Testament covenant, is greater than John the Baptist. And he just said that John the Baptist, of all the prophets of the Old Testament, was the greatest. The least member in the new covenant is greater than the greatest prophet in the old covenant. That's Jesus' words. See, the Old Testament prophets foretold of the coming of Messiah. John the Baptist foretold of his coming, but John the Baptist was more. Jesus said, prophet, yes, and more. Why? Because he not only foretold of his coming, he identified him. He identified him. Behold the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world he did something that the prophets of old could only say there's coming a day when and john was saying there's coming a day when and then he says there he is here it is now that's what he's saying he identified him and the mission of the church today is to proclaim christ is to identify jesus christ not Movado watches or how many houses you can own, or who you hobnob with, or, or you know, none of that stuff. We're to proclaim the gospel. We are the heralds of the gospel, which is the good news. What is the good news? John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's let's tell verse 17 with verse 16. Because the world thinks they hate Christians today. Christianity is being put on hate list after hate list after hate list. Why? Because they see people as Christians as hateful. And sometimes they're right to say so because of our attitudes. But the message is offensive to anyone that's in the world. But we need to remind them that God didn't send Jesus to condemn you. He sent him that you might be saved and I want to tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. It's just that simple. Let's not lose sight of that mission. If Jesus Christ is no longer the center of the mission, we said Jesus be the center of it all. If he's not the center of it all, if, if he's not a part of it, then we've lost our usefulness. The purpose of the church no longer exists. And Matthew 5, 13 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Let me make one other point, and I'm gonna close. And it's found, and Matthew wrote his letters to the Jewish people. Each of the Gospel writers had a different target audience. Matthew was targeting those of the Jewish faith. And in verse 12 it says this, from the days of John the Baptist, notice, from the days of John the Baptist, why not earlier? Because John did something that the other prophets didn't do, right? They all foretold. But at some point, John goes, behold, the Lamb of God. And in that moment, in that declaration, something begins to take place in the spirit realm. And he says this, he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and forceful people lay hold of it one translation says they take it by force now it's it's a greatly misunderstood verse i've heard it preached so many ways that's so wrong but in the context of it all you have to understand what he's saying here the idea of forcefully taking hold of it or taking it by force the the word means to lay claim to it to seize it laying hold of something was a with a positive aggressiveness when we hear something like they they took it by force we we sense almost that there was a negative energy or there was there was bad motives behind it or whatever, okay? But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that John's preaching created such an excitement and anticipation among the people because why? Because up until this time of John's preaching, 400 plus years had gone by without one prophetic voice in the land of Israel, Now imagine having the history that they had had, and they had had these prophets of old and how God had spoken and that God had used judges, but he raised up prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and and, and, and the list goes on. And then all of a sudden, 400 years goes by, no one has stood up and said, thus saith the Lord God. So all of a sudden, John, out in the wilderness, is crying out, repent, prepare the way why were people coming (laughs) because a voice in the wilderness was declaring that god was on the move and people are looking and they're listening for that voice they're listening for that sound they're they're looking for it and jesus alludes to the fact that the preaching of john created such an intense excitement that the people were eagerly awaiting while striving and struggling for the promised king. In other words, his preaching got them all pumped up and excited. Any day now, any word, has he come? Have Anybody heard? Messiah been announced, what's going on? Anybody heard anything? No, okay, got to get back to work. Any day now, any day now, it's going to come any day now. He got them so worked up. In fact, the word there is only used two times in the New Testament and both times in a positive way. In Luke chapter 16, verse 16, look what it says. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses, and the message of the prophets were your guides. But now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone is eager to get in. That's why when Jesus became teaching, the people said, we've never heard teaching like this before. This is revolutionary teaching. Oh, we've heard is the old laws and the rules and the, and the and the thou shalt nots and what you have to do and you can't do and you can do and all this. And Jesus is blowing all that out of the water. He's got the people so riled up. They're going, is this, could this be the son of David? Could this be the guy? Is this the one we've been looking for? Is this the one? And and, and Luke records it in this way. He says, he says, but now the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and people are eager to take hold. Hold of it. I'm telling you there is a hunger in our world today for the truth of the gospel and not some kind of framed out infrastructure made by man that is called Christianity. I'm talking about people who have had an encounter with the living Jesus, the living God who could say, I can't explain everything, but I know where I was and I know what he's done and I can tell You he'll do the same for you. That's what they're looking for. Oh, it's good to be trained, and we have classes to train people that street evangelists. We need that, we want that. But can I tell you it starts with who is Jesus and what has he done for you? Years ago, I used to teach a class, and I said, You need to be able to tell your testimony in three minutes or less. And then people say, There's no way I do mine in less than 30. I said, most people, you get three minutes. Three minutes. If you can't say something about that piques their interest, grabs a hold of them, I'm just telling you, what is it that Jesus has done for you that's so unique and dramatic that gets somebody's interest? What is it? What can you say? I know some, some of you say, Man, I was I was hooked on drugs and I was headed to the pit of hell. But Jesus pulled me out of that and delivered me. Well, that's all you gotta say when someone's fighting off that stuff. Somebody says, I was battling suicide, was ready to take my life, but somebody introduced me to Jesus. And my life was changed. The darkness was gone. And the light came. That's all you got to say to someone who's depressed and thinking about what's the purpose in life. Listen, you scatter seed. The parable of the sower. Some of it falls on hard ground. Some of it gets eaten up. But some of it falls on fertile ground. Throw that seed out there. Quit trying to plow the whole field. I'm just telling you. Some of you looking at me like I'm crazy. I just tell people. My life was over. I was injured in a high school football game, told I'd, I could face paralysis the rest of my life. And there was a time where I was paralyzed from the neck down and God picked me up and healed me. Thank you very much. Tap, tap, tap. What you mean? picked you up and healed you now you've got time I'm I'm just telling you you can say my marriage was on the rocks we were two days from divorce and I had a man and woman walk into my church office years ago on Mardi Gras day he said I wasn't sure if the church be open I said we don't close from Mardi Gras we don't do that junk oh I offended some of you I saw that (laughs) Pastor Josh, you may have to escort me out of here, brother. I just, I done stepped on the Mardi Gras toes. Do you know what carnival is? It's a celebration of flesh. That's That's the root word. I ain't got time to go there. They walked in and said, we need to talk to you. Would you talk to us today? We know it's Mardi Gras. I said, I don't care, I'm gonna be here all day. Said our divorce is going through the first of the week. We thought we'd come talk to a preacher. Preach, met with them, prayed with them, led them to Jesus. They reconciled. Divorce never took place. God began to use him and them to reach the whole community. Head of the Rotary Club, head of the Chamber of Commerce, Head of Better Business, Pure God. God said, I said, Who am I? I'm going to the office. Don't underestimate where God has you. He'll find you when He needs you. And you stay faithful till He calls you out. I'm telling you. This this idea of everyone is eager to get in, it's the picture of a city under siege from the outside. Now, when you think of a city being under siege, we think of it in a bad way. But people have become earnest in their heart, and they're pressing in to obtain the blessing. But but there is a flip side to it. And that is that when you begin to start telling people about Jesus, the religious people will come against you. The religious people will come against you. You can't be just saying stuff like that. You're, you're just stirring things up. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know enough. They're gonna try and tell you, don't be talking. You don't you need to, you know, that you you know the kingdom of God from the time of John till now, the kingdom of God suffers violence. People eagerly trying to get in and people trying to pull them back down. How many of you ever boiled crabs? Put, you put them crabs in that, that pot, right? Wash them down, that thing. you get getting ready. You're waiting for the water to get hot, right? And there's always one or two crabs trying to get up the side, right? And, and you don't have to do nothing. Because a few minutes later, a couple crabs in the bottom are going, look, he's trying to get out. Boop. And they pull him right back down again. When you, when you start to climb out of religion... And you start to climb and, and climb towards Jesus, you'll find people out there going, Keep back down here. Don't rock the boat. Quit messing around. Be still. And you're like, no, no, I'm getting out. I'm getting out. God said, go, I'm going. I'm not gonna sit back and listen to your no-go, no, no more. No. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. No more no-go. Somebody needs to say, no more no-go. <laughs> Say that five times real fast, man. I'm telling you, that's hard. (laughs) It may not seem like it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Say that. (laughs) It may not seem like it to you, but the world around you is filled with people who are eager to hear the truth, a word of hope, a message that can change their lives. And the the world's filled with those who are determined to try and stop you. So you got to decide. Go, no go. Which is it going to be? Because it's not up to God. It's up to you and me. God said, go. Are we going to go? Are we going to sit back and say, no, go? Because the people say, no, go. And this is the promise for every single. God just spoke this into my heart the other night. He said, this is the promise for every one of my believers. Everyone who follows me. This is the promise. In this world, you will have tribulation. I don't want that promise, Lord. Let's go back to the verse before. In this world, you will have tribulation. Tribulation. People goes, what's tribulation? I said, trouble with a capital T. It says, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In the, in the English language, we have words that have multiple meanings. And, and it's one of the reasons English is such a hard language to learn for many people that come to this country and I'm not familiar with it because one word could have like seven different meanings. So depending on how it's used in context, the word could be a noun, it could be an adjective, it could be an adverb, it could be, it could be, you know, so many different things. And, And this is what the Holy Spirit kind of brought to mind to close this with. And he said, this go, no go, I can picture the president, Say, Mr. President, we need a decision. Go, no, go. The troops, the planes are in the air. The missiles are ready to go. We're waiting for you. Go, no, go. But you know who gives those, the, that he doesn't call up a private in the Army or Airman First Class in the Air Force or whatever. He, he calls up the, the the head general or whoever, and he looks at him and says, go, or he says, no, go. God's already given the go. In Matthew 28, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go. And I realized he doesn't give the command to go to someone down the totem pole in the military, he gives it to a commissioned officer. And I remember when my dad would get a promotion in the military. I mean, my mom and dad would dance and get excited because that just meant more money to feed the hungry kids that were growing up. But I remember my dad saying, I got my commission. In other words, he got his promotion to a new rank. And that word commission came to mind because I was thinking of the Great Commission. But in, in the English language, one of the meanings of the word is to commission something or to commission someone to do something. You formally arrange for someone to do a piece of work for you. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying, we need to have a commissioning service in fact i heard this word spoken over someone the other night and and i said this may be just as appropriate and and that is that the church has to answer the call of go no go now When the chief of staff's on the phone, the president's sitting there sitting there saying, Sir, we have three minutes to the target. We need to know now. What is your response? He needs to know then. He he said, Well, he can't say, Well, let me go fast and pray about it for 48 hours. The president needs to be able to give the message go or no go. God's already said go. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's done everything he needs to do. He's given the life of his son, Jesus. He's raised him from the dead. He's sitting on the right hand of God, praying and interceding for you now. And he's just sitting there going, will you answer the call to go? And God said, we need a commission service. And for some of them, they they may feel like that they need to be recommissioned. So I looked that up. It means to commission something again or someone again to be put back into service. I remember during times of war when the... Planes that had been parked for years were suddenly brought back out and re- retrofitted and ready for war. Ships that had been mothballed were brought back out and retrofitted and ready for war. They were—they had been decommissioned, but now they were being recommissioned because there was a mission that had to be attended to. And I feel the Holy Spirit is saying to the church here and in America today it's a time for commissioning or recommissioning either way wherever you are God said are you available to go and if you are available to go he's saying will you stand right now will you stand right now are you available to go are you ready to be commissioned Are are you ready are you ready are you ready say I'm already commissioned I'm recommissioning you I'm letting you know it's now it's now it's not tomorrow not next week not next month it's now Because what God is doing he's doing now he's doing it now right where you're at right where you're at would you just tell him, Lord here I am I received the commission upon my life for that which you've called me to do I am here I am willing I am able by the power of your spirit I will say I will do I will go Whatever and wherever you send me, it's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. You be the center of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I feel like there's some, some people that may be watching or maybe watching later saying, I missed my time. I missed my moment. John thought maybe he missed it too. And I'm telling you, you didn't miss your time. If you're hearing this message right now, God said, I am able to redeem the time. I am able to make up for the time that was lost, that was taken away, that was wasted. I can redeem it. I can get it back and I will make the time that you have now and going forward more profitable than if you had used all the time before. How many of you believe God can do that? He said, oh, I just wish I'd given my life to God here. Give it to him now. He'll take the bread and multiply it. He'll take the fish and multiply it. He'll take your heart. He'll take your prayers. He'll take your words. He'll take you and multiply you to the nations. the nations you say i'm not going anywhere you don't have to go anywhere to reach the nations what about that person you work with that's from another country what about that student you're going to school with who's from another country what about that neighbor of yours that's from another country he send you to the nations. Some of you have already started using social media to reach out to people for prayer. Man, I'm seeing prayer circles pop up all over social media. All of a sudden, people are going, need anybody to pray? Need anyone to pray? I'm here, I'm here. And people are writing in, pray, pray, pray. God can use you across the nations of the earth right from your bedroom from your living room from wherever you are don't put a lid on God don't put a limit on God Justin let's just sing that chorus again can we
0: nothing else matters nothing else in this world will do Jesus you're the center everything revolves around you Jesus you nothing else matters Come on, church. Jesus be the center of it all From beginning to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus oh Jesus Jesus be the center of will always be it's always been you Jesus Jesus nothing
2: Greatest opportunity in the world <clears throat> to tell someone who does not know Jesus personally. <clears throat> you can look in every direction, and there'll be someone. Find someone and just tell them. <clears throat> tell them about Jesus. Don't douse them in theology and sermons. Just tell them who Jesus, what he's done for you. You will light your world on fire when you do that. Father, I just pray for your church right now. I pray for every one of these people in here. I love them so much. in this place to shake our city and surrounding area for the kingdom of God is powerful it is it's beyond measure Lord. Today God we answer the question of go no go and we say go we'll go we, will go in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an incredible, incredible God week. Hallelujah.